Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Dig Deep. I am so honored to introduce your speaker today. Kathy Peterson is the Director of Adult Ministries here at Grace Community Church, and she is just a wonderful leader and mentor and friend. I'm always so grateful for the wisdom and grace and encouragement that she constantly pours out in my life. So I know that you are going to be blessed by what she has to share. So join me in welcoming Kathy. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. As we have been doing all semester, we're turning to Romans 12. So I invite you to turn to your page in your booklet or turn to your page in your Bible. Specifically today, we're going to be looking at verses 9 and 10. So if you'd please turn there with me to read them, that would be wonderful. Paul tells us that love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor your another above yourselves. It's absolutely essential that we keep these verses in context. If you recall last week, Peggy helped us to gain a better understanding of the spiritual gifts we've each been given and the importance of living out these gifts in the body. What is important to remember is that each of us is gifted differently and the challenge that poses us as we live in community. It is with that understanding of the spiritual gifts in community that Paul then offers us these verses today on Romans 9 and 10. In these verses, Paul frames a thought. He offers a series of short statements helping us to bring to light a working definition of the idea that love must be genuine. It all occurs within his thoughts about the relationships in the body of Christ, how we treat one another. We know we are gifted differently, and we're going to serve one another through these gifts. But what is it that covers all of that? What enables us to live this out within the body? I'm fairly certain that Paul focused on this because God knew that it was going to be hard road for many of us to follow. Why do I say that? Because these verses in Romans are not the only time that Paul addresses this topic about differing gifts in the body. As we did last week, we need to again, once again, consider what Paul shared in 1 Corinthians 12. He goes into great detail about the gifts of being spiritual gifts in the body. He tells us that the gifts are appropriately given by the Spirit to each one of us individually, and that they are given for the common good. He then writes in chapter 13, verses 1 and 3, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. In these verses, Paul points out that we can fully exercise our spiritual gifts, but if we do it without love, we are nothing. We can do all kinds of amazing things, but if we do them without love, we do them for ourselves and not for God. Can you see the parallel with these verses and the ones we're reading today? Everything I read in scripture is important to know and to understand. But I can tell you when I see a point made twice like this, that I call it my easy sticky note moments. I put sticky notes in my Bible. And those are one of those moments when I say, I need to pay attention. When something's reiterated in two different places in the word, I need to pay attention to what's being said. The difference with Romans 12, 9, is that love must be sincere, hate what is evil, and cling to what is good. It's much shorter, but there's nothing about it that's different. So we under, want to dig into that. So don't be fooled by the brevity of what Paul is saying here. The length of the exposition does not determine its power or its importance. It's straight to the point, 
but it packs one of the biggest lessons we can stand in our lives, and that is about love. So let's dig into this a little bit. Because of the way we have used love in this culture, it's an interchangeable word with so many other words. We've almost taken it lightly. Think about how we use it in the, our culture. I really love your outfit. I just love this weather today. I love it when you do that. I love those flowers. It's kind of one of those words that we use as an adjective, but yet it's a verb. And we do it so lightly across different contexts. Here I want to dig into some of the root words and the Greek words for understanding what this love is about. In this verse, love is agape love. It's a selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. It is considered the purest form of the highest various forms of love in the Bible. Agape perfectly describes the kind of love Jesus Christ had for his father and for his followers. Agape is a term that God defines God's immeasurable, incomparable love for humankind. It is the love that exists regardless of changing circumstances. So when we change what we're thinking about, I love the weather, all of a sudden we don't love the weather when it changes on us. This agape love is love regardless of the circumstances. Biblical agape love is the love of choice. It's the love of serving with humility. It's the highest kind of love, the noblest kind of elevation, the love of the will. This is so important. It's intentional and it's in a conscious choice. And it's not motivated by superficial appearance, emotional attraction, or sentimental relationship. Agape is not based on pleasant kinds of emotions or good feelings that result from a physical attraction or a familial bond. Agape is God-like motivated and energized by God. There are many verses that help us to get a picture of what this agape love looks like. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Agape love is self-sacrificial. We go on in John, 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Galatians 5.22 tells us that one of the fruit of the Spirit is love. These are all referring to the kind of agape love that we're talking about here. This is a God-given love, sacrificial. This love is regardless of the circumstances. It's a deliberate action, a love that centers on the needs and welfare of the one loved. Paul not only tells us to love, but he goes on to say love must be sincere, genuine, or without hypocrisy. Why does he say this? Because he knows that if the love is not experienced as genuine, it will mean nothing. Our English word for sincere comes from the Latin word sinceris, which means without wax, which stems from a practice of the early Roman merchants who set their earthen vessels and their earthen jars out for sale. If there was a crack that appeared in one of those jars, what they would do is they'd fill that crack in with wax. However, when the sun came out, that wax would melt. So when buyers came along to the market to figure out what worth and where they wanted to buy, they would hold the, the jars up to the sun. If the sun then started melting the wax, they knew there was a crack in it. And that would then create this problem for the buyers and the sellers. So they started stamping the jars then, sinceris, meaning that it was without wax means there was no crack in it. So that means agape love, the love that God is talking about here that Paul is telling us must be sincere. It's love without masks or cracks. So I often then try to seek, what does this look like in real life? That's great in, in as we read the word, but what does this look like? I want to offer a few examples of what it's not, because sometimes helping what it's not helps me get a better understanding of what it is. Here's a letter that I want to read to you. Dearest Jimmy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I felt since breaking our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. 
No one could ever take your place in my heart, so please forgive me. I love you, I love you, I love you. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. And congratulations on winning the state lottery. <laughs> Clearly we had that moment of wanting to express this genuine love to the other, but really kind of realize the disingenuous nature of it and the lack of sincerity when it says, thanks for winning the lottery. On a more serious note, what does this hypocritical love look like? And I would say that the example that we can probably look at with the greatest impact is thinking about when Judas approached Christ and he kissed him on the cheek. That was a term and a way that we did endearment to the other in that culture. And what he did with that is he betrayed Jesus with that. So that was an incredibly um, strong example of what that hypocritical love would look like as we lived it out. So now that we know what it doesn't look like, let's take a look at what it does look like. Paul uses this first part of verse 9 to set the stage for the next few thoughts and offers us a glimpse of what this kind of love looks like in action. As we read earlier in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul warns us that if we live without our gifting, if we live out our gifting, but do not show love, our work is for nothing. He then goes on to offer what this agape love looks like in actions. Many of you will recognize these as the wedding verses. In 1 Corinthians 13, he tells us that love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. In these verses, Paul offers what I call a working definition, how we're to live out agape love. Please know that agape love can only be lived out through the empowering of the spirit within us, because on our own, there's no way we can do this. I want to believe that I'm a Christ-centered person, that I live out the way that I believe Christ wants me to. But I can assure you, more times than not, I care to admit that I insist on my own way. I often want to give up on the person who just doesn't get it. I envy others when I shouldn't. I want my thinking or my rationale to be the right one. I want to walk away because it's just too hard sometimes. I think you get it. I'm hoping that I'm not the only one, but I'm okay if I am. On the days when I actually do show patience, when I bear the burden of another, or when I willingly and without protest take a hit that's not mine to take, I know that it's totally God-given. Because in those moments, I would want to reach out to protect myself, but instead, he's given me the grace to just show love and to not ask or demand what's mine to be received. This is a God's agape love. Paul chose the path of brevity in offering these same thoughts in Romans 12:9. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Paul knew that in our culture the word, excuse me, please know that in our culture the word hate has become tied to emotion. We see this lived out in so many ways in our current culture that we're experiencing in our country right now. You can see it in the faces of the people at marches when they engage in the opposing side and the words marked with hatred spew out of their mouths. We've often come to use hate with something we don't agree with. And much like love, we tend to throw that word around pretty easily. When I think about it, I hear people say, I hate it when it snows, or I hate it when she does that. And to me, that's just a way that we have really, again, taken the word in its true meaning and really watered it down. Because the understanding of what Paul offers us in the context of Romans is very different for this word hate. Again, I'd like to turn to the Greek word to help us understand that, and I think it's important to note that this is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. The Greek word is abhor, it's to hate, it's apstigeo, and it's meaning that it's from and then to hate. So you were trying to go from hate. 
It expresses a very strong feeling of horror or bitter feelings of hatred regarding evil and implies loathing and abhorrence and disgust. The preposition apo, of apostageo, serves the purpose of emphasizing the idea of separation from or removal from, to never go near or separate oneself completely. Abhor means to detest with horror. In other words, you tremble at the thought of. The word evil here is the word paneris. It means evil that is injurious to somebody else. It is a relationship word in Greek. So the word evil here is in reference to malice or unkindness rather than evil in general. So when we think about this, we need to understand it in the context of the words which we're looking at. It comes about intentional harm to the other. So we're talking about separating ourselves from casting intentional harm onto the other. The example that I tried to offer for this, to try to see what this was like in meaning, to understand this, this abhor, this need to separate myself from, and the trembling I should have, is that I, I suffer from seasonal allergies, but more importantly, I suffer from allergy-induced asthma. And one of the things that can trigger me pretty quickly is smoke. So when I go into a smoke-filled room, I literally can feel myself struggling to breathe. I can literally feel that I can't do this. Like I start trembling because I can feel myself not getting the air. That is the same kind of feeling God wants us to have when we think about this evil that we can cast on the other. He wants us to hate it so much that we can't do it because it struggles to make us breathe. He wants us to tremble at the thought of that. So we want to tremble at the thought of creating evil, but then he goes on, Paul goes on to say, cling to the rest of what is good. The word cling here is the word for glue. So it's literally, we are to be glued to that which is good. So we start seeing the juxtaposition of here, of what does this mean to live out love? We are to abhor evil. We are to, abhor, to absolutely separate ourselves from anything that can hurt the other, that's injurious to the other. And we are to be clinging, glued to the good of what we can bring. That means we should have an unalterable attachment to whatever leads to God and contributes to the welfare of others. When we cling to that which is good, we open opportunities for each other to use our God-given talents to the glory of God's work. Remember, this is the context that Paul was writing. It's how we live out the different spiritual gifts in our body. I think this is more directly addresses some of the issues of sin, of pride, of comparison in our own lives. It means that we start entertaining ideas or thoughts that are not going to build the other up, that we need to feel our breath taken away. It needs to remind us that we need to cling tightly to that which is good in the other. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote, do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as you do this, you will find one of the greatest secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you'll present him, you'll presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do good to turn, and start showing kindness to that person, you'll find yourself disliking him less. C.S. Lewis noted this, love is not a feeling, it's an action. It's an act of our will. We can choose to act on it even when we don't feel that it's what we want to do. But it's in the process of acting on it, of showing agape love, that God changes our hearts. What Lewis is saying here in some ways is offering our own self-fulfilling prophecy. When we actually think kindly of the other, when we actually do good deeds for the other, we realize that we start loving them more. It's when we actually intentionally injure the other that we start disliking them more. So we need to think about how do our actions and how do our thoughts then guide us in what we do with the other. Paul goes on in verse 10 to help us better understand that working definition of love. It states, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. 
This is a different form of love than agape love here. The term that he uses here is the word philia. It is demonstrated in friendships based in love and kindness. Think of the friendship or brotherly affection between Jonathan and David. It's that type of great, deep care for the other that exemplifies this kind of love he's talking about here. Just as Jonathan and David were devoted to each other, so should we be within the body of Christ. But Paul does not leave it there. As he did in verse 9, when he stated love must be sincere, then he went on and instructed us to what that looks like, to hate evil and to cling to what is good. He does the same thing here in verse 10. He states that we are to be devoted to one another in love and then instructs us what that looks like, to honor one another above ourselves. Just as Paul gave a working definition of agape love in 1 Corinthians, Paul also gives a working definition of how to honor one another above ourselves in Philippians 2, 3 to 8. He states, do nothing from ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among, above your, excuse me, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This idea of honoring, above, honoring another above ourselves is not easy. In our own sin nature, we want to be the one who is recognized and honored. But clearly, we are instructed to count others as more significant. J.B. Phillips translated, a willingness to let go and let the other man have the credit. Whoa, that sure goes against so much of what is esteemed in our culture. That is, the culture that we are living in right now is telling us we need to take the credit. We need to get up there. We need to make sure that people know what we did. And that carries over to the body of Christ, unfortunately, when we think about how we interact within the church and what we do. An American TV personality, Ed McMahon, died in 2009. I'm probably dating myself by offering this example. But as one newspaper headline read, when it came to being the number two man, he was the number one. Best known for his 30-year tenure as Johnny Carson's sidekick, McMahon excelled at helping Carson succeed in the spotlight. While most entertainers strive for top billing, McMahon was content with a supporting role. And it's that supporting role that can be so challenging for us as we honor and love one another above ourselves. However, I can tell you that I've been very blessed in my time to have people in my life who have poured into me. A dear sister and friend, Polly, we met 25 years ago. We served on a staff at a Christian camp, a Christian conference for high schoolers. We were very similarly gifted, and she was a very talented leader and teacher and administrator. Two years after serving on staff together, I was asked to direct the conference. Polly could just as easily have been the one to ask to do so. However, when I told her, she immediately responded that she would be there to support me in any and every way she could. Without a moment of hesitation, she allowed me to rise and she allowed to stay in the position in which we were shared together. And she was by my side the entire conference. For years, we did this together. And she anticipated my needs, and she made sure that she could be there to help me and address anything that might have come up during that week of the conference. So as she honored herself above, as she honored me above herself, she allowed God's work to be done in a beautiful way. We made a great team together those years that we served, and we allowed God's glory to be relevant and alive in the life of those high schoolers. Another example I want to share with you occurred a few years ago when I was in the discernment process about choosing to come to Grace to serve in the women's director position at that time. 
there was a woman here on staff at Grace, her name was Amita, and she just had done some tremendous work behind the scenes working with women to mentor women, to disciple women into intergenerational groups. She had done a lot of work within women's ministry. And she knew the position was being posted as well. And I was concerned about that. We had served on the leadership team together, and I was kind of thinking, what's this going to look like if I do this when I know that she's also capably, very capable of assuming the position? So one night, Amita called me at home. I can remember sitting in my living room and answering the phone. And, and she said, I just want to talk to you about the position, Kathy. And I just said, OK. I was kind of taking that deep breath, because I'm thinking, you know, is this what I go for, God? And she said, I want to be your Jonathan. And those were the exact terms she used to me. And what she said to me, she said, you are gifted, and the church needs your gifting. And she said, I want to be your Jonathan to allow you to live out the gifts that God has given you. And I think that was just that example, again, of honoring the other above yourself, of putting yourself in a position of serving the other. When she could easily have said, I have the skills and talents to do that, she, looking at the body of Christ, knowing what my gifts and talents were, said, you are the one for this position, not me. But I want to be the one there beside you helping you do that. I hope you've had that opportunity to have people pour into your life like that. But I also hope you've had the opportunity to pour into the life of the other and to raise the other up as well. When I was finishing up my grad school career, it was I can tell you the date, because the movie came out probably in like 1988 or 89. And it was the movie called Beaches. And I don't know if some of you are familiar with it. Um, but it was a movie that uh, a friend of mine called. We've been friends since first grade. Christine was her name. And, and we had done a lot of life together. And she called me and she said, Kathy, I just want you to listen to the words of this song. And, I, and in 1988, that was a little more challenging because you didn't have YouTube and you didn't have ways where you could just do that. So you either had to call the radio station to request the song to be played, or you had to go to the movie theater to watch the movie to hear the song being played. So I think I probably just said, that's a great study break. I'll go to the movies and just take a look at the movie. And in that movie, uh, it's a story of two friends that are, are doing life together. And Bette Midler was one of the stars of that movie. And she sang a song entitled, Wind Beneath My Wings. Now, if I had the courage, I would sing you that song. But I am not Bette Midler. So I will just read you the lyrics to that song. It must have been cold out there in my shadow to never have sunlight on your face. You were content to let me shine. That's your way. You've always walked a step behind. So I was the one with all the glory while you were the one with all the strength. A beautiful face without a name for so long, a beautiful smile to hide the pain. Did you ever know that you're my hero and everything I would like to be? I can fly higher than an eagle, for you are the wind beneath my wings. It might appear to go unnoticed, but I've got it all here in my heart. I want you to know I know the truth. Of course I know it. I would be nothing without you. Did you ever know that you're my hero? You're everything I wish I could be. I could fly higher than an eagle, for you are the one beneath my wings. Thank you. Thank you. Thank God for you, the wind beneath my wings. Well, this is clearly a secular song, I want to leave you with this mind picture of what it might be like to honor the other above ourselves. It means to be the wind beneath their wings. It means to allow them to soar using their God-given gifts and talents and you being the one to lift them to higher heights. It might mean allowing the other one to get the spotlight. It might mean walking a step behind. And it most likely will require sacrifice as you allow the other to live out their gifts. As the song said, it might have appeared to go unnoticed, but I've got it all here in my heart. And this offers me hope that perhaps as we serve as the wind beneath another's wings, that others might see and they might try and notice to do the same. In reality, if we do it well, it might often go unnoticed. 
And that's the beauty of it, especially within the body of Christ. When we're allowing others to soar, they don't have to know it, and others don't have to know that we're doing it, because the reality is God does. In those moments when you are the wind beneath somebody's wing, you are living out the command of agape love. You're allowing them, with their spiritual gifts, with their gifting and talents, to be the person God created them to be within the body. In the diversity of his people, God has given all the gifts needed to build his church here on earth. And I often allow myself the dream of a time when the people in the church truly strive to live sincerely and do what is best for the other. The challenge lies before each of us, and myself included. I must strive to allow the Holy Spirit to fill me with God's love, and by doing so, love others who are different than myself. In loving them, I come to know them, and as I know them, I can build them up. Yes, even if this means I have to step outside of my comfort zone or my culture to stop thinking about what I want and what I would like and shifting to thinking about what others want and what others might like. I will hate that which hurts them and tears them down. I will cling to that which is good in them and for them. How many lives could be changed and how many walls could be broken down if we truly understood how to live out this gape love with sincerity, hating what is evil and clinging to what is good? That is God's kingdom work for us here. Paul knew that, and God used Paul to help us get a better understanding of that. I truly believe that if we could live out these verses of Romans 9, 10, and 11, we would bring out the best in ourselves and the best in each other. And by doing that, we would bring out the best for God's kingdom. So friends, as you go forth this day, I want to encourage you to live and love sincerely, to cling to what is good, to hate what is evil, and to honor another above yourself and be the wind beneath somebody's wings. Let us pray. Oh, precious God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this place that we can come together to study your word, to realize truly that you have demonstrated agape love for us by giving us your son. Lord, I just ask that you empower us to live with that Holy Spirit in us, that we truly can live out agape love among our sisters here and in the world in general. Lord, help us to, to understand what we are to do, to cling to that which is good. Help us to honor the other above ourselves in a world that tells us to do something so differently. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the ability to just contemplate this and to understand what our command is to do. And we thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit that through him will enable us to do just as you've asked us. Please guide us this day. Show us the ways that we can live out agape love with sincerity. Open our eyes. Let our ears be sensitive to the things we hear around us. And let us soar on eagles' wings as we help others to do the same. In your holy and precious name we pray, all God's women said, amen.